Well, our title today is God Already Knows What You Need. That's pretty good to know that, isn't it? You might think you, you need some something, but he might think that you need something else. So it's good to know that he already knows what we need. And we've been looking over the last couple of weeks at how Saul has been turning away from God and is becoming more and more paranoid. And last week we saw that he was imagining that people were plotting against him and he had made a very bad decision in that he had promoted an Edomite called Doeg to be over his men. And we saw last week that because he was uh, blaming David in the wrong and accusing David of uh, treason, that Doeg spoke up and said uh, that he had seen David with the priest and the priest had helped him. And if you remember last week, we saw that Saul, in a fit of rage, uh, he ordered his men to go and kill the priests because he believed the lie that they had helped David. And we saw last week that when the, his own men were afraid to put their hand, the fear of God was on them, they were afraid to touch the priests, that this man, Doeg, an Edomite, a pagan man, uh, was not afraid to go and kill these 85 godly men, already wearing the priestly robes that he slaughtered 85 of them. And then he went from there to uh, the priestly town of Nob and he went through that town and he killed men, women and babies, children. Uh, so we can see this man Doeg was a very, very evil man and, and Saul had sunk to a new level. And of course, when he destroyed the, the, the priests, he was now cutting off his way to God. He was cutting off his way back to God because in the Old Testament, God had set in place a priesthood. And the priesthood was there to connect man to God. Of course, the priests were really pictures of Jesus, really a, like a, a child's picture book before the time to teach the people that God, that Jesus would come. The Messiah would be the one who would link them between earth and heaven. So Saul was really, uh, we would say, um, cutting off his nose to spite his face. And uh, these, these priests had been killed, but amazingly, doesn't God always have his man? God had spared one of these priests, a priest called Abiathar, had managed to escape. And we saw just at the end of last week that Abiathar had run to David, and David had taken him in, and, and David was grieved because he felt that these priests had been killed because he had been with them and through association. And we saw how tender David's heart was by comparison to Saul, who was always projecting blame on people. David took and was sensitive to his own faults and, and wasn't afraid to speak up about things that he had done wrong. And we saw that he promised to take care of Abiathar. And we're going to pick up today from chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. And we're going to see that he is still with these men that had come out into the, into the wilderness. And it says in verse 1, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, which was a, a town nearby, and they're robbing the threshing floors. Then David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, it's interesting that this town, we, as we read on through the chapter, we'll see it was a walled town that had gates on it. So it was a dangerous place to go in and fight because it could become a trap. So David 
was asking the Lord, should he go and fight in Keilah? Because he understood that he could be very vulnerable in there. Did you ever want to, to help someone, but you realise maybe in putting yourself up to help them that you could make yourself vulnerable? Well, that was the situation that David was in, and that's why he went to inquire about the Lord. Isn't it amazing that God wants us, although he knows already what we need, that he wants us to talk to him about what we need? I mean, that's very clear in Scripture that God wants us to be vocal and to tell him how we feel. It says in, in um, Philippines, just give me a moment, Philippines chapter 4, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we, we, are, we are called to, 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 to tell God. He wants us to share with him how we feel, what we need. And so David was doing just that. He was asking God, is it wise? What should I do? Should I go in to help these people in Keilah? They were being robbed. It was a small town with a wall around it. And, and he felt God had said to go and help Keilah. But some of David's own men, they were a bit apprehensive. Let's just continue to read what it says here. It says that, it says, But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. Do you see how these men were also very aware of their vulnerability, and they were a bit hesitant? But you know the thing that I loved about David? I loved the fact that David wasn't one of these rulers that said, You do it and ask no questions, just do what I tell you. He was a humble enough man to listen to his, what his men were saying. There's something about a leader, a good leader is someone who listens to what people say, but don't always be swayed by what people say. That's a good leader. And so he listened to his men. He humbled himself, he went back to God just in case he had got it wrong. And he asked the Lord again, and the Lord said, no, go. And so he made the decision that he would go. Isn't there something about trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I really believe that God is encouraging us here today to remember to ask him even about the simple things. To ask him for guidance. To ask him what should I do in that situation? What should I do in this situation? I believe God really wants us to do that. I read something this morning. It's it was just a wee quote. It said, don't ask God to guide your footsteps if you're not willing to move your feet. <laughs> so we need to have that attitude, don't we, where we're, where we're asking him and talking to him about everything and willing, whenever he gives us the word, willing to go. And David was like that. David wanted to move with God. He wanted to obey God. And it tells us in the next verse, it says, and David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. He saved the inhabitants of Keilah. He struck the Philistines with a mighty blow. You see, when we ask God for wisdom, 
when we ask him what we should do and we obey him, there's something about trusting him and obeying him that gives us power to hit the enemy a mighty blow. Did you ever feel like you just love to suck at him? <laughs> you know when he's just going around in your head and just that the condemnation, the const, the constant thing in your ear where you feel the enemy's trying to discourage you and bring you down. You know, we just sometimes need to give him a good kick up the butt. Is that what we say? It's, I love the butts in scripture. And you see, we can do that when we quote God's word, when we speak out God's word, when we obey, when we trust him and obey him, we can actually we can actually hit the, the enemy a mighty blow. And that's exactly what David did in this situation. And he he actually saw God with him in that situation and and they, they got the victory. You see, fear could have stopped him obeying God. One of the things that holds us back is fear. Isn't that right? Somebody said to me on Sunday morning past, uh, he said, the guy I was talking to out, out there said, faith jumps, fear looks. And I have thought a lot about that over the past few days. Fear looks and looks and looks and doesn't move. Faith says, I'm going to trust God and jumps. And that's the difference. And God wants us to have faith. God wants us to flow with him. Here's another quote. Fear is the glue that keeps you stuck. Faith is the solvent that sets you free. So David believed God and he stepped out and he went to fight these people and he won. He, he defeated the Philistines and he won the battle. Now it is interesting that, that David's in this situation. He's in the wilderness. Remember that Abiathar the priest had come out to him. So he has actually a priest with him and we're told uh, in this scripture that the priest had brought an ephod and a breastplate. Let me just read it to you. So <clears throat> let's just read from um, verse, verse 6. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war and to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver, my, deliver me into, the, into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will, it, Saul will, come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So Saul halted the exhibition. I love the fact that God knows when we need help. He doesn't only know what help we need, but he knows what kind of help we need, and he knows who is the one who will be able to help us. And in this situation, he had already, before the time, 
Before this incident had happened, he had sent a priest along. This priest had come into David's life and he had brought, he had brought some of the priestly garments that the priest wore. Now, it's very significant, and we're going to look at these priestly garments because I get so excited when I read this stuff. I have to tell you that this week I was preparing for, for today and I was reminded that about, I don't know, many years ago, it could be 10, it could be 15 years ago, I remembered that we did a series on David. And I have lost most of my notes that were printed. My, my old computer, uh, well, needn't go into the details, but we lost a lot of notes that were written years ago. But recently somebody had given me a file with some of the old notes and some of them were about David. And you know, I, I, thought, I just had this thought to myself, why not look up and see what it says about David from your old notes? And you know, I was, I was kind of blessed when I, read, when I read it. I kind of blessed myself. <laughs> because I thought, Lord, there's still life in that. And, and you know, it was just lovely to be able to go back. And if any of you ha- who have been coming here from the beginning, if you've got notes from way, way, way back, because I know we've been going now about 12, about 12 years, something. Uh, if you have anything that you're not using, I'd love them just to be able to, to go through them again and maybe get them into some kind of order. But anyhow, it just reminded me about the, the beauty and the wonder of the priesthood. See, the priesthood in the Old Testament was just a picture as to what Christ was going to be as our great high priest. And God had sent this priest, Abiathar, out into the wilderness to David to function as a priest for David in the desert. Now, I tell you, if you're in a bad situation and you feel like you're just a bit in a wilderness situation and you're pushed around all over the place and you're feeling you're being tempted and tested and tried and life's difficult, I want to tell you that you just don't have a priest, that, a human priest that's been sent out to you. You have one who's permanently with you and his name is Jesus Christ. But this priest and, and this ephod that he brought with him tell us a little bit that's very important, tell us some things about how our great high priest Jesus operates. Because everything in the Old Testament was a picture and a reflection as to, as to what uh, Jesus wants to do for us. And God knew that David, David needed this priest to help him. And he brought an, in, an linen ephod with the breastplate and something called the Urim and Thummim, which we're going to look at. You see, the, the ephod, and let's just look at what it was like. And if you want to, when you, whenever you go home, if you want to look up Exodus 28 and Exodus 39, I have them in your notes, you'll be able to look there and see how the ephod was made. And we haven't time to go into it in, in great, great, great detail, but we can do a little bit. But I want to say that the ephod was actually made of particular colours. Now you've got to remember that God had told Moses exactly how to make these garments that the priests were to wear. And God is a creative God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of you and of me. He, he's the one who has um, who's brought colour and light and beauty into this world. And so he wanted the priests to ref- in, in their garments to reflect his glory and also to be a prophetic sign as to what the future was going to hold, a prophetic sign about Jesus. So the ephod was made of, the colours were gold and blue and purple and scarlet, scarlet thread and fine linen. Now those are all wonderful colours and they all have a symbol. The gold, of course, in the Bible always speaks of deity. It speaks of God himself. The blue speaks of the, of the sky, of the heavenlies. 
It speaks of heavenly things and it speaks of Jesus, the heavenly man. So blue is a wonderful colour and it's, it's seen a lot in the tabernacle. It was seen a lot in the temple. Then there was purple and purple, of course, speaks of judgment. And remember that Jesus wore the purple robe whenever he was going to the cross. And it speaks of royalty, but it also speaks of judgment. And so we see that, that, that gold is a deity, blue is the heavenly man, Jesus himself. Purple is the royalty, the royal, he's the royal, the, the king of kings, and lord of lords. And also speaks of that judgment that he wore the purple robe. And then scarlet speaks of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, the sacrifice of Jesus. And then finally, the fine linen speaks of the righteousness of the saints. If you read in Revelation, you'll see that the bride wears the fine linen. So all of this was very, very symbolic. And it reminds us of who our great high priest is. Because Abiathar came out to help David, but Abiathar was only a picture of Jesus who is with us permanently, 24-7, with us as our great high priest. Let me read you just a little bit about what our high priest does. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Seeing therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Remember all these earthly priests, they... They, they were sinful men, but Jesus was a sinless man, man. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now we all know that verse, but that's a verse about Jesus, coming to Jesus as our great high priest. And in biblical days, the high priest was one that pe the people came to him for so many things. They came to him when they wanted to sacrifice an animal for their sins. They came to him if they were sick. They came to him for advice about their housing. They came to him uh, for their dietary advice. They, they came to him for relationships, for, for children that were misbehaving. I mean, the priest was the one who they came to him for everything. And it's a picture of how we are meant to come to Jesus for all of our needs. Everything. Whether it's a leak in the roof or something else, we can bring it to God. Because God's interested in everything. And so we're told that we're to come boldly to the throne of grace. And then it goes on to say, in, uh, that he, yeah, in further on, chapter 7 of Hebrews, it goes on to say that, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession. And verse 27 of chapter 7 says that Jesus died once and for all when he offered up himself. And he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. So we have a high priest who is available to us every moment of every day. And he is the one who, um, who has borne our sins and the one that we can come to for help. The gold. Now, this is what really... I'd kind of, I'd kind of forgotten about this. And it just stirred me up again. Do you know what they did with the gold for the, for, the, for the garments of the high priest and for the curtains of the tabernacle and everything? They took the gold and they cut the gold into fine, fine slithers, almost as thin as a thread. 
And so they cut the gold and it was it was beaten first of all into a very flat they beat it and beat and beat it to make it flat and then they, they sliced it into very, very fine cords. Uh, so that the gold could be woven listen to this, so that the gold could be woven into the purple and the scarlet thread and the fine linen. So do you get the picture? All of this was to be woven and you can read this in Exodus, when you get home, we'll not take time to do it now. It was to be woven into an artistic design that would make that would be the, the clothing that the priest would wear. Now I want you to get this. The gold that was cut, the gold speaks of Christ's deity. Remember that Jesus was bore your iniquities and bore my iniquities on the cross. Remember that he was beaten for us. Just like they beat the gold. It was a prophetic sign. It was a prophetic movement as how Jesus would be beaten for us. That he would take the strikes, he would take the strokes on his back, that he would be beaten for you and for me because of his great love for you. That he was going to come as a man, a sinless, perfect man, not like the ordinary priests who wore these clothing, but he was going to come as sin, the sinless one, God's own son was going to come and humble himself and come to this earth to allow humanity to hammer him, to beat him, just the way the gold was beaten. I mean, that's quite awesome, isn't it? All these signs in the Old Testament as to what Jesus was going to do. And then when they cut it, remember in Daniel's prophecy, there's a prophecy in Daniel 9 that says he will be cut off for the people. And so when they cut when they cut into the gold to make it into something that could be woven, it reminds us that Jesus was cut off because of our sin. And, and then they wove it into this beautiful artistic design so that it could be woven together and the priest would wear this as a symbol of Christ and of who Christ was. And here's the most amazing thing, that that, that that artistic design is exactly what God has done in you and in me and even in creation. Because do you know what? Through his sufferings, through all the pain that he went through on the cross, through the, the fact that he took our sins in his own body on the cross, he bore our sin, he took the punishment for you and for me, and he became the living sacrifice. Because he did that, and because he has risen again and gained the victory over sin and death and hell, now he is able to give us this beautiful new creature. And we read about it in Ephesians chapter 2. I really want to read this to you and it, it's, all going to become, it's all going to become clear. Believe me, Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read what it says in Ephesians chapter, chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Now that word is the word poema, which means poem. We are his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Another, another meaning of that word poema is, is poem or it's a work of art. It's an artistic design. Do you see what God did? When, he died, when Jesus died on the cross, 
He made it possible that your life and my life could be woven together like the gold going through the, the silver, uh, going through the, the scarlet and all of those beautiful colours so that, that God would actually see in us a beautiful design reflecting Jesus that we, that we could become his work of art. You know, God is going to restore this whole creation. The Bible tells us that the creation is groaning at the minute because of the sin in the world. But Jesus paid the price and all those beautiful colours speak of him so that it can be restored and that the world is going to be restored. But you and I, at the moment of salvation, we, are, we become a new creation, just like this woven gold into all these colours. And, and so we are his workmanship. We are his work of art. We reflect his beauty and his glory, just in the same way that when the priest wore these colours, or this beautiful purple and gold and scarlet and, and, the, and the, the, the fine linen, when he wore all of these colours, he reflected something of the glory of God. And, and, and that's what you and I are meant to do. We are meant to show to the world who Christ is. We're meant to reflect Christ in everything that we do. And so this, this ephod, these were the colours of the ephod. And I want to hurry on because... I really believe there's something that God wants to say to us that's really important today. Um, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that word poema is the idea that God is the master designer of the new creation. And in my Bible it just says this. Before you got saved, you weren't a poem. There was no rhyme or reason in your life. But once you find Jesus to be your saviour, you begin to live out that poem, that work of art, because he has restored to you, he has, he, has, he has restored the damage that sin does in our lives. And we are a new creation. We live in a different way. We have the Holy Spirit in us and we reflect who God is. So David had this priest with him and this priest had brought this particular garment, the ephod. It was actually, I've written in your notes, it was actually an elaborate four-piece vest-like covering which had shoulder straps. Now I want you to get this. Don't get bored because it's this fancy material or this, these garments. This is, this is really good. You've got to visualise this. Imagine this vest-like type, type cover, vest covering which had these shoulder straps. And on the top of each shoulder, there were onyx stones that were set in gold. You notice how God, so much about setting in gold, speaks of security. And the names of the tribes of Israel were inscribed on the onyx stones on the shoulder. And the idea was that when the priest wore this robe, and he went into the holy place to bring the sacrifices for sin into the holy place, he actually carried on his shoulders, he carried Israel on his shoulders. And what does that speak of? It speaks of how Jesus Christ, as your great high priest, he carries you on his shoulders. There's times whenever we are not fit to stand ourselves. Would you agree with me? There are times when we need to be carried. And you know what? He's the one. Remember how he, the lost sheep, he took the lost sheep and he put it on his shoulders and he carried it home to safety. And there are times when you and I will need to be carried. And you know what? Our names are on his shoulders. But that's not all. This ephod was attached to something called the breastplate. Now, Abathar had brought the ephod and 
presumably, it doesn't actually say, but presumably he brought the breastplate as well. And uh, the breastplate was also made of the same colours for the same reason. It was also artistically woven and it was a single piece of fabric which was folded over nine by nine inch square across the front of the heart. And on that, on that four square piece of material across the heart, the 12 tribes of Israel, each, each one had a gem, a particular gem, and the 12 stones were on that breastplate across the heart of the high priest. Now what does that speak of? It speaks of how Jesus he is the one who's the go-between. He's the one we come to for help in time of need. He's the one we come to when we need mercy. He's the one we run to when we need grace. We need wisdom. We need to ask him about something. When we come to him, not only is he carrying us on his shoulders, but as our high priest, his names, you've got to know this, your name is written on his heart. And he carries you on his heart. And when you come to him for wisdom, it's very interesting that on the breastplate there was there was a couple of um, little. We we think they were probably little gemstones. They were called the Urim and the Thummim. Thummim. Can you hear about say that? The Urim and the Thummim. The Urim. Uh, uh, the, the word Urim means light, and the Thummim means perfection. And we guess they were some kind of gems that that the priest. Whenever someone would come and ask him for specific guidance, they would have used the urim and thummim, and it was the urim and thummim was kept somewhere in the breastplate. Now there's a kind of a mystery about this. We don't. It, God doesn't make this really very clear in the Old Testament how the priests used the urim and thummim. But when someone came for to ask for help or ask for guidance. The priest in some way used the Urim and Thummim, whether they threw them like a dice, some people think, I don't know. But in this particular situation, David didn't know what to do. He had just had a victory in Keilah. He had defeated the Philistines. And then he heard that Saul was on his way down and that danger was on the way. And he didn't know what to do because he knew that the, he could very easily be, be, uh, be in a trap in the town of Keilah with the walls right around him. And he didn't know if the men of Keilah would stand up for him and protect him. He didn't know what to do. He was in a very dicey situation. And so he called Abiathar and he asked him what he should do. And, and in some way Abiathar used the Urim and the Thummim. Now I say it's mysterious because I don't think there's anything... Well, maybe that's wrong to say that. But it's certainly very... Getting guidance from God is a mystery. Would anybody agree with me? Sometimes it's real easy. You ask God and he makes it real simple and you just know. And sometimes it is simple because the Bible just gives us the answer, you know, right and wrong. No point in asking God, like, is it okay if I go and steal that? You know, we know that you're not meant to steal. So there's certain things that we know the answer already. But there's a lot of things in our lives that we just need God's guidance and wisdom. And we need to know, Lord, should I go this way or that way? And I don't know about you, but I know that in my life, God has just used so many different ways to guide me. But I, I tell you this, if you ask him and you really want to know what he says, I can guarantee you categorically that you will know, get to know the answer. I can, I can guarantee you if you really want to know his will, he'll make sure that you won't miss his will. And that's the one piece of advice that I've given all my life. If you really want to do it God's way and you want to hear what he says, then you can't miss what he says. 
He won't let you. And so often, my prayer is so often, Lord, if that's not right, then close that door. And if this is right, open it. But close it if it's not right. Opening and closing doors is part of what God does. He's very good at closing them. And and I'm sure there's lots of, of, of stories that we could hear around this room of different ways that God has guided and directed. I remember one time uh, years ago, ascending, applying for a job, and it was a job down in Dublin, and I remember I was, there was only a few of us that were qualified in this particular job, but it was working with blind people, and I remember thinking, well, if I go down there, I know that, I knew, already knew they were desperate to find someone with my qualification, and there was nobody else, so I kind of knew I would get it. And I remember thinking, Lord, if you want me to go to Dublin, then I will go. But if you don't, will you please close the door in some way? Went for the interview, got the job, and uh, I didn't have a real peace about it because I knew I'd get it. So I told them, let me just think about it and pray about it. And uh, I sent, actually I'm telling you wrong, when I sent the application off, I sent a letter at the same time to a Christian organisation. And I said, Lord, if you want me there, would you make this Christian organisation come back to me and say, yes, I offered my assistance that I'd like to help them. Uh, Could I get a letter back? And and in a way, that was a fairly simple one as well, because it was an organisation I kind of knew, and I thought, doing a lot of good work. Well, do you know, I kept saying, Lord, now, you know, you've given me the job, but I haven't got the letter back from this organisation yet. And I waited and waited and waited, and no letter came. And the the last day, the, the job people sent me a letter to say, we need to know by a certain date. And that night, I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, you know that I have to tell tomorrow, I have to say if I'm going to take this job or not take this job. It means leaving home, it means going to Dublin. If that's for your glory, if that's where you want me, you know I'm going to go. But I need to hear, I need to hear a word from you. What are you saying? There was still no letter from the other, from the Christian organisation. The next morning, I opened my Bible and I read a really, it was just in the ordinary through the year Bible, and it was a really obscure verse. And you know what the verse says? Stay at home. <laughs> For why would, you, why would you meddle that you would fall? That's the truth. And I remember just writing the letter, and that was it. Stay inside. Do you know this? About a year later, I got a letter from this Christian organisation, apologising profusely. My letter had fallen down between two desks. <laughs> And nobody found it, Lord. They were doing a real spring clean and they found this letter a year later. But can God not do that? I tell you, he's far more ingenious than we give him credit for. God can do anything. But you know what? We need, we need our hearts to be true. There's no point in saying, you know, tell me what I should do, Lord. And really, in the back of our mind, we've kind of made up our mind what we want to do. And so God, I believe, is a God of variety. And he is so He is so beautiful and so wonderful. And he's not lost for a way to get the message over to you. He can guide you with his eye. You know, the Bible says that you hear, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it. And so if you really want to walk for God and live for God, he will guide you with his eye. And so David was looking for guidance. And he, he brought Abiathar to him and he asked Abiathar, to help him. He said, uh, I'm on to second Samuel now. I've got myself, here we are. So it says he, it happened in a bather, this, it fled, it brought this ephod, and it says that David prayed and brought the ephod. Do you notice how David prayed? He said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant 
has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Do you see how he pours out the problem the way he experiences it? You know, God wants us to tell him how we feel. He wants us to explain what the problem is. Not because he doesn't know, but because he wants to have interaction with us. He wants you to have a real relationship with him and he wants you to tell him how things are. And it's amazing how God will do wonderful things whenever whenever we ask him. I love the fact that that the gems, the stones, were on the heart of the high priest. Do you know that that's a symbol of us? I love, uh, I love it in Malachi. It says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on that day that I will make them my jewels. And that word jewels means my special treasure. I wonder if you realise that you're a special treasure. I wonder if you realise that you're God's jewel. That he carries you on his heart. That he knows your name. And he carries you on his shoulders. You're inscribed on his shoulders and he carries you on his heart. I mean, we as women, it's so important that we realise that we are of great value, of great worth to God. And that he actually, your high priest carries you on his heart. That's an awesome, awesome truth. And if we could realise how much God loves us and that Jesus wants us to to be in partnership with him at this very intimate level, I believe, that we would live in a different, different way. Now, there's one more thing about this breastplate and the ephod before we go. And again, I haven't really um, read it, but you can read it whenever you go home. But the thing about it was that the um, on the breastplate, there were chains. And God had told Moses that they had to make these chains. I can hardly say that word chains i've got it right and they were like braided cords of pure gold and they they were they were to make two settings of gold and two gold rings so as to fasten the everything to the ephod that meant that the breastplate was was fastened by means of these rings and this cord and you get in the picture they were fastened together with this blue cord so that the breastplate couldn't come loose from the ephod. Now what does that mean? Well, it means that not only does, does Jesus Christ as our high priest carry us on his shoulders, carry us on his heart, not only uh, does he guide us when we come to him, that he has this way of guiding us in all kinds of situations, but it means that he gives us security. We are fastened to him. This ephod and breastplate were not going to come apart. They were fastened together. And it speaks of the security of the believer. It speaks of how we are fastened to the heart of Christ. And that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Can you get a wee bit excited about that? You are fastened to the heart of Christ. And he's the one that has already gone behind the veil. Now we talked about this a few weeks ago. That Jesus has passed through the heavens. And he's gone into heaven ahead of us through the veil and he's in heaven now seated at the right hand of the father and guess what we are fastened to him that's why hebrews chapter 6 speaks about the anchor that we are anchored and secure and the last few weeks ago i spoke about this upward lift that we actually are fastened in heaven already that we are fastened to the great high priest isn't that amazing the upward lift for the what do we say for the inward shift 
when we begin to realise that we are linked in heaven, and there's a lot of talk at the moment, believe you me, there's a lot of people that I know who are praying and in touch with the Lord, and there's a real sense that there's a shift going on in this world around us, that things are beginning to move, there's a shift a shift in Israel, there's a shift around us just in the society and all that's happening politically across the world. There is a shift and there's a lot of talk from some of my friends that there's like a, that we need to tune our ear to hear the sound of heaven because I believe that heaven's getting ready for the next, next thing to happen. And this is our time to keep our eyes fastened on our great high priest and to keep ready for that inward shift as we realise that we are secure and that we belong to him. I love the fact that God provided for David, that he had the high priest already there before David needed to know this stuff about Keilah. Isn't it amazing how he provides help for us before we need it? Before they call, I will answer the word of God says. And so Saul isn't it also sad that, that Saul, instead of rejoicing that the people in Keilah had been delivered from the Philistines, his old jealousy, the old paranoia took over and he's ready to come down into a pack. He's seeing it as an opportunity, as if actually believing, so deluded, believing that God was against David. Isn't it amazing when we get away from God, how we think we begin to look at God's people and begin to feel that God's against them even. You know, Saul was deluded. He was, somebody said the other day, he was like a psycho. He was totally deluded because he was turning away from God and he was letting the enemy take over. Yes, David was being driven by Saul. But I'll tell you, Saul was being driven by the demonic. And if we have to go through a bit of pressure in our lives because the enemy's hot in our tail, listen, but I tell you something. We have one who is with us, who is well able to put a halt to that. We have, we have a great high priest. Would you want to be in anyone's shoes who doesn't know Christ? What an awful life to live. And so Saul was so deluded that he thought that he could go down and that God would deliver David into his hands. But God was answering David. God was giving him clear wisdom and direction. And once he got that, Saul, David obeyed and immediately then it tells us at the end of that chapter that it tells us that Saul didn't come down when he heard that David had escaped. I just put in your final little notes here something to think about. God can protect you from the schemes of the enemy. We're told to wear all the armour of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. We're told to put on the whole armour of God and it kind of struck me that it's interesting that part of that armour of God is the breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness. And isn't it amazing that we as human beings, we're not only saved by grace, we're not only fastened to Christ, that we have access to Christ as our great high priest, but isn't it amazing that we ourselves are actually seen, that God sees us also as being priests, as being royal priests that God sees us as those who can stand in the gap for other people, that we can pray for ourselves and we can pray for others, we can intercede for others, that we can be used in a very similar way, similar, similar way to the Old Testament priests, that we can actually speak into lives, that we can operate, and, and we call this the priesthood of the believer. We are called God's special, chosen people. 
were also called the peculiar people. And I think that's a pretty accurate description. There's a wee peculiarity about all of us, I think. We're his peculiar people. We are the blood-bought ones. We're the ones who are dressed in the royal garments. And our heart is protected by the righteousness of Christ. You know, this, this blesses me so much. It's not about how good I can be. It's not about how I can, you know, attain to a certain level of spirituality. It's not about how much I pray or how much I study or how I behave myself. Do you know what? That, that actually isn't what it's about. The fact is that I am made righteous because of what Jesus Christ did. Because his blood was shed for me, my own righteousness is covered. And my heart is covered because of what Christ did. Now, isn't it amazing that we're given this opportunity to to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, that we can do those works that God has planned for us before the beginning of the world, that we are his, his creative design, that we are his new creation, that we are the ones that he has planned for us to be workmanship, to, to, to live out the works that he has planned for us from before the beginning of the That's it. But that's not what saves us. That's the fruit of our salvation. That's because we love him because he has saved us. That's because we are covered. Our hearts are covered by the blood of Jesus. His righteousness. We are covered in God's righteousness. Oh, that I could get that to you because I think the enemy gives a lot of condemnation to us when we don't live up to certain standards that we set for ourselves. And then we allow, we allow condemnation to come in and we allow the condemnation to bring discouragement. And then we get so discouraged that we actually think we can't do anything. And then we don't even try to do anything because we feel so discouraged. And all the time the Lord's saying, I want you to start thinking differently. I want you to realise that my blood saves you at the beginning. But ongoing salvation is available to you. That you can have constant forgiveness That God knows that you're weak and human. God knows that you've got flesh nature. God knows that you'll make the mistakes. God knows you'll let him down. But you know what? He keeps coming back and lifting you up again. And he wants us to get into this new rhythm of of quickly coming for forgiveness. And not listening to the condemnation, but moving on into what God has for us. And God wants us to have that beautiful fear of God in the right sense of the word. And that we realize that sin is our enemy. That sin will hurt us. That doing it the wrong way will bring pain into our lives. But when we ask him and inquire of him as David did, that we will find that our lives become richer as we move in the flow with him and as we trust him and obey him, that we will see things happening in our lives. I read this this morning. The more you go with the flow of life and surrender the outcome to God, and the less you seek constant clarity, the more you will find that fabulous things start to show up in your life. And I believe that's true. I, one of the things I say over my life is, let me go with the flow. <laughs> flow of God's Holy Spirit. And the minute I sense I've grieved him, oh God, I'm sorry. Immediately, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I confess it. Get rid of it. Don't hang on for like two weeks. Immediate forgiveness. His blood avails for me and for you. That's what he has put in place for us that we can go with the flow and we can see the things that God wants to do in our lives. And so if we look at this today and we see how God directed David and how he he sent the priest to him before he even needed the priest. The priest was there on the spot. The priest had had brought the ephod and the breastplate and the urim and thummim, everything that speaks of Christ and what Christ wants to do for us. That, that, That God wanted to remind David that he had him on his shoulders, that he had him on his heart, and that he was able to guide him 
and that God was with him in the wilderness, in the Judean wilderness. God was with David. What's your wilderness? Do you feel you're in the desert right now? You need to know your great high priest is with you 24-7 and he is able to give you all that you need and he's able to guide you and direct your steps. No wonder David wrote that psalm, that psalm 123, or sorry, 103. No wonder he, he spoke out that word. I'm going to read you part of the psalm because I would say that his heart was overwhelmed when he saw how God delivered him from the hand of Saul in the desert. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Do you notice how, how David speaks so often about his soul? Your soul is your mind and your will and your emotions. I'll tell you, when David was running like a scared, we're going to see later on, he felt he himself felt he was like a, like a, a scared partridge in the wilderness. When he was running around that wilderness with Saul coming after him, trying to kill him, I can tell you that his mind and his will and his emotions were in great turmoil. I can tell you that there was many times, and David's one of these people who was in touch with his mind and his will and his emotions, and he speaks to God about it all the time, and you and I need to do the same, because our mind, how we think, will, will affect how we, how we feel. And we as women are emotional beings and we need to pour that out to God and ask him to help. And that's what he said, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's speaking to his soul. He's saying, bless the Lord. Choose to trust him. Choose to praise him. Choose to thank him. He's the one who forgives all your iniquity and he, who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. David could have written that that day when Saul turned back. And he realised he wasn't coming. Because what? He, because he had asked God for help. A lot of things that you're worrying about and concerned about, they're never going to happen. The biggest concerns that you have will probably never happen. Especially when you talk to God about them. David could have, he could have absolutely spent like three weeks in turmoil, dreading and dreading and being in total fear and panic that Saul was on his way. He just brought the matter to God, and you know what? God turned him back. So don't be worrying about those things. Bring them to the Lord. Who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's the best one to finish on. I listened to a song yesterday, Forever Young, and I was going like this. <laughs> Our youth can be renewed like the eagles. There's just one thing that I, I wanted to say before we finish. I saw this quote this morning, and sometimes when you see things, it just triggers. It's, here's what it said. When God takes out the trash, don't go digging back through it. And I just sense today that God may be dealing with certain stuff, and you are throwing it off, and you're giving it to Jesus, and you're, you're wanting to hear from him. But, you know, the enemy will come and try and tell you to take that stuff back again. And by the same token, don't go throwing stuff out that you need to hold on to. Don't throw stuff into the trash that you should hold on to. A number of years ago in Fortaventura, and with this I will finish, in Fortaventura, William and Jane and I were over on holiday, and William had a funny hearing aid that was going a bit funny. And we wanted to make sure it would keep it safe to bring it back to get it fixed in Craigavon Hospital in the audiology department. 
And we went and looked for the hearing aid and the hearing aid couldn't be found. And uh, after a lot of looking around, we asked William, where's the hearing aid? So he walked into the kitchen and he walked over to the trash bin and he put his foot on it like that there and he went. <laughs> so the hearing aid was in the trash and we had emptied the trash. There's a great big bin up the road from us that everybody throws all their trash in. And I wish you'd seen Jane holding onto my legs and rolling me down the trash <laughs> to get the hearing aid out. We never did find the hearing aid. But you know, by the same token, don't be throwing out don't be throwing out when God gives you a word, you need to keep that word in your heart. Don't be don't be saying, Oh, maybe it wasn't from the Lord and just throwing like, throwing it into the trash. Listen, you've got to value the words that God gives you. You've got to value the promises. Don't throw them out. Don't let the enemy rob you of them. Don't put them in the trash bin. Trust God. Because if he gives you a word, he'll fulfill it. It might take longer than you expect. It might happen in a different way than you expect. But trust him. Because you know what? One thing I've learned. God is faithful. And God will perform. That's what he has promised for you. So we just want to sing this song. Uh, just uh, in light of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's stand and sing it and worship the one who loves us so much. When we think of the high priest in all of the garments and the glory and the colours and the artistic design and the beauty of it all, which all spoke of God's glory, when we think of that, it's hard to imagine that we're going to actually see Christ, our Saviour, face to face. And yet, the wonder of it is that actually he's here right now in this building with us. He is right here. He is right beside you. Philippians 4 verse 5 says that the Lord is at hand. He is right beside you right now. And so if you've got any questions or anything you want to talk to him about, now's your time to do it because he's right here and he's an ear opened, inclined to hear what you want to say because he wants to do life with you and he wants you to do life with him. The best way to live is with our Saviour, the Creator, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who's coming back, the one who makes sense of everything and works all things together for good to those who love the Lord. Go in peace and we'll see you. We have two more weeks left before we split for, bre- for, uh, we'll see for breakfast. For breakfast. <laughs> before we split for Christmas. And uh, we're, we're up here, a few of us, if you need prayer. So God bless you.